Welcome back to another episode of Transcending Conversations. Albert Einstein once said, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. In line with this philosophy, we understand that closing the digital divide will require each of us to consider new perspectives, digest new information, and willingly take a new approach to the way we have traditionally patterned broadband internet access. Kenneth Lozado is passionate about educating individuals and communities about the problems surrounding equitable internet connectivity. His career and current endeavors enable him to provide others with a new way of thinking about broadband solutions. Ken currently serves as the broadband project manager for the Student Freedom Initiative, an organization dedicated to liberating the next generation of historically black colleges or university graduates from disproportionate student loan debt while paying it forward. Ken brings expertise in broadband internet, telecommunications, infrastructure, municipal fiber, fixed wireless, and 5G technologies to the table. He has worked in telecommunications industry for over 20 years and actively advocates for universal internet access. Hi, Ken. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Transcending Conversations. Happy to be here. We are so excited to dig in today's episode and to talk all things digital divide, digital equity with you and hear more from your expertise. You have such an in-depth background and we can't wait to hear more about it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to get the word out in any fashion. So I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Well, let's just dive in. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about yourself and some background information on how you got involved in the digital divide space. Sure. My, my background is mostly within the telecommunications infrastructure world. I started working for internet service providers back in the 90s when the technology first started kind of coming to the forefront, staying within that world of data centers, fiber, telecom carriers. I really became aware of the issues with di the digital divide several years ago. It's always been kind of an unspoken problem until the last three or four years where it started to become really obvious. The passion for it really came when I was driving through Baltimore and I saw a bunch of kids sitting in their parents' cars outside of a McDonald's trying to get their homework oh my done. Gosh. At that point, it was just turned my screws a little bit coming from, from that world, knowing that that didn't need to be the case. And so we, we launched a program to get Wi-Fi to one of the inner city neighborhoods in Baltimore. It worked out really well. And I continued to work on that problem. Back in August, there, a position came open with Student Freedom Initiative that is concentrated on the HBCUs and the minority-serving institutions across the country, all of which have this availability and affordability problem when it comes to broadband, which is step one in bridging the digital divide is getting people access, right? So that's what kind of led me to my work here with Student Freedom Initiative. And we are hitting the ground running and uh, with all of the attention that broadband is getting, hopefully in the next year, year and a half, we can really make a difference in people's lives. Absolutely. What was it like to be on the forefront of this technology rolling out early in your career? Well, so it's been very interesting to watch the internet grow. 
It's been very interesting to watch human behavior change as people start to have the internet ingrained in their lives. But the issue has always been, you'll hear people talk about the last mile or the final mile. It's always been how we get to people's houses. One of the other interesting things is watching it go from, oh no, I'm not gonna put any information out on the internet, I'm not gonna put my credit card over the internet, to now you can't necessarily function without the yeah. internet. I went to go buy a birthday present, a piece of art for a friend, and the only way to do it was to do it through their website. The only way to communicate with them is email. There's no phone number. They were surprised when I found a phone number for them. <laughs> but that information is out there, right? But everything that you do from ordering pizza to signing up for social services from your local state government to getting access to your local libraries, everything is done online now. So. For those of us that started in the industry, it's kind of a coming to fruition of something that we saw back in the late 90s or mid 90s. Is this how you anticipated it going? When you were in those early days, would you have imagined we'd be here dealing with some of these issues now? You know, I, I'm a little disappointed that we are. I, I would have liked to have seen the, the country, the United States, have a little better rollout of this type of technology. If you look where we are compared to, say, South Korea. South Korea has fiber to the home to pretty much every home in the country. Wow. Not as large as the United States, but you would have thought that we could have done a little better as a country in getting this technology out to people that really need it. And those are people that are not in the urban centers. Those are people that are take a couple uh, an hour or so to get to a doctor's appointment, right? This is one way that, that broadband and access broadband improves people lot, people's lives. If I'm you know, struggling an hour and a half to get to a doctor, most of the time I'm not gonna do yeah. it, right? But now that I have telehealth, I can pull up a doctor, have a conversation with them, and really understand whether, hey, you need to come into the office, or at least put your mind at ease that it's not something serious. So these are capabilities that we've seen coming for a long time, when COVID hit, that's when it really magnified it, right? There was a long time where people weren't allowed to do telehealth appointments because of HIPAA rules and some other things that really were, I think, more of an excuse than anything else. Once COVID hit, it start, people started to realize, hey, we really can use this technology in the way that it was intended to be used. Absolutely. I think we've seen so much of that on the work from home front, too. We've been dealing with some oh, absolutely. Yeah. winter weather here, and it's so interesting to hear them talking on the news. You know, it might be a good morning to telecommute. And having that flexibility that we then can allow the folks who are clearing the roads, plowing the roads, a little bit extra time without the stress that a typical nine to five commute might put on those roads. And we've had that technology. Sure. We just haven't been utilizing it to its full capacity, right? Well, it, it, and absolutely right. I live in the DC metro area. And if you are going any place from you know here to Northern Virginia, that's only 15 miles away, it could take an hour in traffic, uh, especially at rush hour. Oh. Myself, I've been using the ability to telecommute for, for many years, but again, I'm, I'm kind of a geek on command, <laughs> right? But the level of productivity that you can have without having to worry about two hours of travel time every day is really makes it worth it. 
when you start adding up those hours because there's so much going on. Each hour is precious. And it also, you don't feel completely drained by the end of the day. If you can take five minutes to go pet your puppy or pet your dog or take a break at noon and go for a walk, really that helps recharge and keeps everybody kind of keep their batteries a little bit more juiced and you can get a lot more done. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to pivot a little bit to talk about the Student Freedom Initiative and your role there. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about what you guys are doing. Sure. Well, Student Freedom Initiative likes to envision uh, uh, solving the wealth gap through the lens of education. And Student Freedom Initiative started as a financial products nonprofit. It follows from Robert H. Smith, his gift to the graduating class of Morehouse in 2019. He paid back all of their student debt wow. and covered all of their tuition, right? It made national news. It was a fantastic, fantastic thing that he did. But he realized very quickly, this just could not scale. He just could not pay everybody's yeah. tuition. But what we could do is we could come up with programs that were nowhere near as onerous as the current loan programs that a lot of these disadvantaged and economically impacted communities and students and their parents are having to go through. So one of the products that we have is an alternative to the Parent PLUS loans, which means the students are the ones that actually take on the loan for paying their tuition, not the parents who are usually in these minority communities already overburdened. Mm -hmm. So we've got the Parent PLUS loans. We've also got a grant program that helps. It's called the HELPS program, actually. It helps students with up to, I think, $40,000 um, deal with everyday problems that would interfere with them getting back to school. They go home to take care of a problem. The car breaks down. And the last thing they're thinking about is, how am I going to be able to get back to school? Well, this gives them a grant that gives them the money to get those things fixed so they can actually get back to learning, which is what they need to do. We also saw very quickly that there was a gap in the capabilities within the HBCUs from a technology perspective. And very importantly is something that was highlighted by the Department of Education when they were administering their Title IV funding, the Pell Grants and things like that. And they said, if you want to participate, you need to be at a certain cybersecurity level. Most of these HBCUs were not. So what we started was a capacity building program with partners like Cisco, where we go in and we do an assessment of the school from a cybersecurity perspective and help them reach a level, it's called CMMC is, is kind of the standard, but reach a level that satisfies the Department of Education's requirements so that they can still get that funding, so get that Title IV funding. Because if they hadn't gotten to that level, they would not be eligible. So as we were looking at that, the other issues around the digital divide and the broadband became very, very obvious, specifically when you're talking about the HBCUs that are not in urban locations. Mm -hmm. Most of these HBCUs were either started on a land grant or started in small towns or areas that are far outside of the urban centers, the NFL cities, if you will. And what we found is the traditional telecom carriers do not deploy their networks in those locations for lack of a density, right? Not enough people within a mile, lack of potential return on their investment, 20-year return or, 
or something along those lines, and it's more expensive for them to build out there. So they just have it. So just like redlining in the past was an issue for some of these minority communities, it's a digital redlining where it starts from the infrastructure side. The ISPs just don't go to these areas because the money is not there for them within their model, right? So student freedom initiatives started to look at that problem and started to come up with a strategy with some of our partners like Connect Humanity. The first thing that a community or a school needs to do, they're called anchor institutions or community anchor institutions, CAI, is designated by the National Telecommunications Infrastructure Association, NTIA, which is part of the Department of Commerce, that around these anchor institutions, there is just enormous lack of broadband. So McKinsey did a study coming to find out that 82% of the HBCUs across the country were in broadband deserts. Wow. What broadband deserts mean is either there is no access whatsoever or the access that they have is lower than the broadband definition of 25 megabits down and five megabits up, which is completely inadequate, right? Or there's no affordable option. You might have an ISP offering a gigabit service, but if it's $200 or $100, I, I, I've got medical bills to pay. I've got rent to pay. I've got to feed my kids. The last thing I'm going to think about is getting high-speed broadband. Yeah. So all of these factors together become glaringly obvious when you look at a data representation of it on maps. You can see that these locations just aren't served and they've been ignored by the traditional telecom carriers for whatever reasons. But we we still have people living there, mm -hmm. right? We still got to take care of everybody. So that's kind of where the strategy came from, mostly citing that McKinsey study. It's been an issue that we people in the industry know about and have known about for quite some time. But it wasn't until, again, somebody putting their thumb on or their finger on it, like what McKinsey did with the study, and COVID making it glaringly obvious. Yeah, absolutely. When people in those communities, those broadband deserts that you were talking about, are faced with that issue of not having reliable access or any access at all, how are you finding that they are overcoming that? Are they using cell phones? Are they going to, you know, the library? Well, that's, that's just it, right? They are using cell phones in some instances, but like I spoke about the location, the inner city location in Baltimore, exact same thing. They'll drive to a library or they'll have to, you know, go to a McDonald's or someplace that has Wi-Fi and sit in the parking lot and do their homework, right? And the problem is, is that they miss out on their educational experiences. They miss out on being able to apply for social services. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've ever tried to use a cell phone in, outside of an urban area. Inside a city, you're probably fine using a cell phone. But if you're out in a rural community where you know, cell phone towers, 5G is not available, which usually isn't, right? You're going to find that it's almost painful. It's almost like dial-up, right? If you remember the days of dial-up, watching a picture load, well, imagine trying to do that for every web page that you needed to navigate to. It's pretty, it's pretty painful. It makes it, it gets you frustrated really quickly. Oh, absolutely. And you talked about how all of this came really into the light even more during the pandemic. And you imagine these students trying to submit mm -hmm. assignments or do virtual learning on a cell phone. It just, it's impossible. 
Yeah, it's it's just not a good experience. And as a kid is learning, frustration is, I think, one of the key things that they need to overcome. Yeah. And if you're already starting from a negative perspective, and that's just this experience sucks, right? That's not really going to motivate you to learn. Yeah. So just like we got school buses to pick up the kids and get them to school, right? We need to have infrastructure that will enable them to learn the things that they need to learn. Yeah, I think the way that you just put that, it seems so simple, right? We School buses make so much sense. Why don't we provide internet, which is just as helpful, if not more, in helping students achieve their educational pursuits? This is my own personal opinion, but we as a country trusted that to private corporations. Private corporations are there to make money for their shareholders. Mm -hmm. You can't fault them for that, right? They have a fiduciary duty to make the most profit they can. And that, from a broadband perspective and a telecommunications perspective, is in the major areas of population. It's where it, there is the most density, where there is the biggest need. So we as a country allowed the private companies to take that on. And as we've seen, as far back as 2013, there was a lot of funding that the federal government put out. It was a program called BTOP. And what we found was it just was not administered very well. And so there was a lot of money that flew out the door. No one knows where it went. Mm. So it's a difficult thing to get your hand around. But I, I think what we're seeing is a, a new awakening, people starting to understand the technology, understand the terms, understand what is needed. And now with this latest $68 billion package that's coming out from the Infrastructure and Jobs Act, is going to be administered much tighter in a much closer way. In fact, that dovetails into the work that SFI is doing. So we are working on creating master plans, digital equity master plans, around 70 different HBCUs in their communities. And what these digital equity master plans do is outline a path forward for not only building broadband networks, but also for educating the surrounding community creating workforce development programs, creating different types of programs that can leverage this new infrastructure to provide those opportunities that they're lacking. So these master plans are going to be required by the NTIA when it comes out with its funding. The NTIA has allocated $100 million to the states, but, and they will not release those funds until the states show them that they have plans in place on how to utilize these dollars. And by that, I mean line item budgets wow. as to how they're going to use this. So it's gonna be administered much more granularly than it has in the past, which is what is needed. So the first step in anything that you do with telecommunications or technology is planning. If you fail to plan, you plan to <laughs> fail. And that's what, that's what we're doing, right? We are, we are taking the communities, we are involving them, letting them be part of the process through surveys and through constant communication and developing a plan that allows them to take advantage of this generational funding that's coming down from the federal government and build out an infrastructure where the community can thrive and live and be a part of the digital ecosystem, which 
everyone is a part of now. Absolutely. Whether they want to be or not. What is the hope for these historically black colleges on the flip side of this? Once they are able to provide access, what's kind of that next step? Well, one, make it revenue neutral, meaning that it doesn't cost them anything, right? The main thing we're trying to do is ensure that the HBCUs do not have additional costs. And leveraging federal programs, we can get these networks to a revenue neutral position. The next thing is getting them access to the research and education networks. There is a whole separate internet. It's called Internet 2. And it is only for research and educational purposes. Hmm. Well, in order to be able to get to those research and education networks of REN, you need to have a connection to the outside world. You need to have a fast connection to the outside world. So all of the other factors that we talked about, the telehealth, the digital equity, training and educational purposes, and all of those things that are enabled by broadband, same thing for the colleges, just on a bigger mm -hmm. scale. And so being able to access the research and education networks at, at a gigabit, multi-gigabit levels is really um, one of the other benefits of, of what we're doing. Why do you think that this issue of the digital divide is important for everyday listeners, people who might be listening and have never found themselves in a broadband desert, have never experienced this personally? Why is it important? There's two different worlds that we live in, right? The haves and the haves-nots. And if you're, if you're not a have-not, then you don't see it, right? And it's difficult to step out of that. If you have a have-not, then you see it each and every day and it makes life difficult. So for the overall population, there is just a benefit of having everyone involved in our way of mm -hmm. living. You never know where the next great invention is going to come from. It could be some kid down in Alabama who had an idea, and because he's got access to the internet now, he can take that idea to fruition. Maybe he's another Dean Kanan, and he events a new way of doing dialysis, right? So you never know where that's going to come from. And the only way that you can enable that is from step one, right, is by providing the path to taking those thoughts and those dreams and turning them into reality, but you got to educate them on how they do that. So just like roads and cars and infrastructure and everything else, if we don't provide the community as a whole, right, access to these things, then we're going to be missing out on things that that little boy in Alabama could bring. Absolutely. We've had some conversations recently about how critical broadband internet access is to the idea of entrepreneurship as a whole and how difficult it would be to be an entrepreneur at any level without that simple access. Yeah. And, and that idea of entrepreneurship is now permeating out into society as a whole, mm -hmm. right? Everybody's got a Poshmark site. Everybody's, you know, <laughs> selling stuff out of there, right? Side hustles are rampant. But it, exactly. But as we live more and more in this digital world, that's going to be where the most innovation happens, right? And if people don't have the basic steps, if they don't learn how to ride a bicycle, mm -hmm. they can't ride that bicycle into the city and save us from having CO2 from the car. It's, it's all of those things. They all build upon each other. 
So in this new digital world, having access from day one, like you said, you grew up with it, right? Imagine if somebody didn't have access until they were 19 yeah. or 20. How far behind the curve are they just from the start? So you start to think about those things when you start looking at the overall picture and you realize this is not something that can be left to chance. This is something that we really need to take to heart and take by the horns. It's a problem that needs to be solved. Absolutely. Every episode, we like to wrap up by asking our guests what they would recommend listeners do today or in the next week, maybe even the next month to help us transcend that conversation and create real impactful change within their own communities, within their homes, their families. What would your advice be for action that people can take today? Sure. Education, for one, educate yourself. There's a lot of information that's coming out now and helping people understand exactly what broadband is, right? So, for example, data caps. Well, data caps are being charged by Cox Communication and other carriers. You reach a certain amount of data. It costs them no more money to provide a larger amount of data. Hmm. They're just charging you for the data caps because they can. Interesting. Because they're the only ones in your neighborhood or your community that offer service. So it's just another way for them to increase ARPU average revenue per unit, right? And they're doing it because they're a corporation, because they need to, as a fiduciary duty, increase their profit share. So one thing, educate yourself. There is a ton of information that's being put out right now around broadband so you understand the problem. If you don't understand the problem, you can't understand the solutions. Mm -hmm. Organize your communities. Organize around your community centers. Organize around your um, schools, your churches, any place where people are getting together and start talking about it. Because again, we go a lot further together than we go alone. Absolutely. And, and these are things that people can have an impact on. You really want to get granular? If you get a neighborhood and you write to your state broadband office, all that information is out there and you get on their radar and you're dogged about it, you're going to find in a year's time, you're going to have fantastic internet. It's not becoming complacent when you run up against what you think are run around answers because it's going to happen. So educating yourself, organizing within the community and being dogged about it, right? Don't let the carriers just get away with providing a lower level service for a higher level price. It's something that they've been doing for 20 years and it's going to take a lot to wrestle that out of their hands. But as a community, we can do that. Well, and it's worth it to do that and to continue to make steps towards that. Absolutely. Ken, where can people find more information about Student Freedom Initiative and the work that you guys are doing? Student Freedom Initiative can be found on the web, studentfreedominitiative.org. If you are a student at an HBCU, I really encourage you to go check out our financial literacy programs. We have grant programs. We have alternatives to Parent PLUS loans programs. We have internship programs, and we have financial literacy programs. For example, we're giving students, I think 500 students, access to $1,000 wow. for investment purposes. They can take that $1,000 and they can invest it and watch it grow. So cool. So we have all sorts of programs for, for these students at the HBCUs that haven't been available to them before. So studentfreedominitiative.org 
is the place to go for all of that information. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so helpful to hear from you and learn from you. I think this topic of the digital divide can be so cloudy sometimes. It feels like a different language and it's so helpful to hear all sorts of different perspectives on the issue from everybody that's doing a lot of hard work to minimize that divide. Yeah, and, and I'm happy happy to to be on the show and it's great for you that you guys are getting this word out there because education is where it starts. That's the first thing, to understand the problem before you can find a solution. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ken. Very welcome. We want to thank Ken for joining us on this episode of Transcending Conversations. To learn more about his work with the Student Freedom Initiative and their efforts to assist students in facing the challenges brought upon by the digital divide, please visit our show notes or check out more on our website, www.transcendinternational.org. Join us next week as we take a deep dive into communities that have implemented municipal broadband solutions throughout the greater Boston area.